0: So if you have Facebook or really any social media, uh, you may notice uh, regularly people will post uh, inspirational quotes. And sometimes they're going through a very hard time and they'll, they'll post something that's inspirational. Uh, and sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're just really bad. And I, I needed something like an inspirational quote to get a point across today. So I just thought, well, I'll just Google inspirational quotes. And my, it gave me great material for this introduction. Take a look. Take a look. I want you to look at some of the inspirational quotes that I found. You're the greatest project you will ever get to work on. Take your time. Create magic. Stop hating yourself for everything you aren't. Start loving yourself for everything that you are. And whatever you decide to do, make sure it makes you happy. I mean, I've seen those showing up, those kind of quotes showing up. Uh, particularly when someone's going through a hard time. Now that's where I was going to leave the introduction, but Tess is out of town with the kids uh, for the last 24 hours. They come back this afternoon and I have a a bit of a chore list that I I have to get done and one of those was to clean our bathroom. And so uh, I get my my Bluetooth speaker and I open up Spotify, and lo and behold, Imagine Dragons, uh, uh, an American pop rock band that that I follow. Many of you may know Imagine Dragons. They have over 40 million listeners a month on Spotify, a very popular band. That new album just dropped on Thursday, and I thought, ah, I'll listen to this new album. And a lot of it's good, but then I came across this song. And then I sent this song to Ryland, my oldest. And I said, Ryland, listen to this song. Am I hearing the lyrics correct? Am I interpreting correctly what they're saying? And he sends back, yes, you are. So I have it on good authority that what I'm about to say has been interpreted correctly. It's a song about, it's a song about being betrayed by people and, and getting hurt over and over again by being used by people. And so it's, it's, it, has that, it has that theme of going through a hard time. But here's the chorus. Here's what struck me. The song is called Number 1. Here it is, the chorus. Cuz I know what I'm meant to be. I don't need no one to believe when it's all been said and done. It's I'm still my number 1 cuz I know what I'm meant to be. These people might not see when it's all been said and done. It's still uh, I'm still my number 1. Oh man. So what what we have is a theme In the inspirational quotes and in the song number one is that when people are going through hard times, they look in the mirror and they say, believe in yourself. You believe in yourself. You're good enough. You believe in yourself. That's what happens when people are going through hard times. We have been trained to look in the mirror and give ourselves a pep talk to look at ourselves and say, I'm still my number one. Well, that's that is a particular uh, bit of counsel. When going through a hard time. To look at yourself and believe in yourself. It just happens to be very different than the kind of counsel that the Apostle Peter gives to these Christians. Who who he calls foreigners. Spiritual foreigners in a hostile world. He gives them very, very different counsel. On what to do when you're walking through a difficult time. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to open up with me, we now tackle three verses. We've just done one verse a week so far, so I feel like our percentages are, are you know, we're rocking here. We're going to like, we're, we're exponentially increasing what we're going to cover today. Verse 3 through 5, Just so you want to come along with me, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Those three verses. A lot going on in those three verses. So we'll just jump jump right in. First thing we're going to notice right off the bat is that Peter tells them, to look, not at themselves, but to look to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I, I'm just noticing, right here, that he doesn't tell them to look at an idea. He doesn't tell them to look at a nation. He doesn't tell them to look at an organization. He doesn't say, believe in freedom. He tells them to look at a person. It's really key. So, immediately, right out of the gate, you look at a person. And we should know who he's telling them to look to. God, the God and Father. The God and Father. And then what I want to notice is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, you kind of just bypass over that. It just looks like Jesus, right? But Peter doesn't, doesn't put together that name flippantly. Uh, one scholar that I was reading notes that this is the full redemptive name of Jesus. And then what he says next really struck me. So I want to just I want to just share with you what he said about the Lord Jesus Christ, how much is packed right there. We literally could spend a few weeks on those three words. Really, we could spend a year. Let me give you let me give you the reason why. Check out what he says. He says this all that the Bible reveals about the Savior appears in that title. Lord identifies him as sovereign ruler, Jesus as incarnate. Son, and Christ as anointed Messiah King. So each word has, has, has a heavy meaning, has layers of meaning. This is the God and Father of the Lord, sovereign ruler, Jesus, the one God in flesh, Christ, the anointed Messiah, the promised one, who gave His life for His people. That Lord Jesus Christ this is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look to him now, you notice right there that at the front of the at the front of the verse, it's not just look at him, it's praise him, praise him. Uh, The literal word there is bless him. It's an echo of all those Old Testament passages that say bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. It is a way of praising the Lord. So so we praise the Lord, the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give him praise. But why? I mean, why would you do that? Especially if you're going through a hard time. Why would you praise Him? Well, it's that what comes next. It's that in His great mercy, He has given us a new birth, new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, through the resurrection, the power of God has literally been released. The power that brought him back from the dead has been released into the world to give new birth to everyone who believes. been born again. And that, that idea, or really the reality of the new birth, is something that is, that is scattered throughout the New Testament. And I'm sure if Peter's writing it, He's remembering the conversation that he heard about that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Do you remember this? I'm sure Nicodemus later told him about the conversation, or Jesus, after having that late night conversation, went and told his disciples what that conversation was all about. But it's recorded in John 3, and it's all about the new birth and how important the new birth will be in the kingdom of God. Check out what how, how John records it, John 3, verses 3-5, through 5-7. Uh, through 7. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And what's behind this is that that all humans are dead in their sins. Therefore, to come alive again, it it is described as a new birth. It's literally taking something not alive and giving it life again. That's the new birth. This, this reality is so important for Peter that later, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's going to bring that same reality back into another description of what has happened for these believers. Check it out. 1 Peter one twenty three. He says this to them, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again. You come back to life. That's what's happening to these Christians. The power of the resurrection literally is now breathed into them. That which was dead now comes back to life. You have been born again. That's a very important reality for Christians to understand. You're something new. And then what Peter does is, and we can't forget this, like you can't miss this disconnection this for him where this locks in. You can't, we can never forget that the great mercy of God is tied into this new birth. Remember what he said back in verses 1 and 2, that you are chosen. He calls them the elect. He calls them chosen exiles by the foreknowledge of God. And last week we noted the key there is God initiates all of this. You didn't do anything to save yourself. Well, that's kind of like a really popular teaching among the early Christians. So much so that Paul writes it this way. Probably one of the most famous passages out of his letters. I've just taken an excerpt. Check out how the mercy and the birth, how they're tied together. Paul uses uh, some different words, concepts still there. Check it out. Se- uh, Ephesians 2, 1-9. As for you, well, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of His great love for us, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You were saved by God. You you were not good enough. Like, Be encouraged. You're not good enough. God initiated, God saved you, it is His grace. That's really good news. And so now being born again, the mercy of God with the power of the resurrection, giving you new life, well now you're you're born into some stuff. And that's where he goes next. So now that you've been born, through, born again through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that raised Him from the dead, now you're born into at least two things. At least we can see two things in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 give us two things you're born into. Check them out. Let's put them up here. You're born into a living hope, and you're born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven. That's what you're born into. So let's just take the first one, a living hope. There's a couple of things going on with the word living that's really important. I mean, we all like to talk about hope, 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 hope this, hope that, um, you know, believe in hope. Peter here gives it gives it this adjective. It's living. It's a living hope. A couple of things we want to recognize. Check out. Let's just put up the first one. It's not dead. It's real. Like right now, and it will always be real because it's rooted on the resurrection of Jesus. Remember what Paul says at one point in the Corinthian letter. 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have it on the screen, but just remember what he said. He said, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied among all people. We believe in something that's not even real. But because Jesus is alive, your hope is real. Like it's solid. You can stand on it. It's active. It's right now. The world is full of dying hopes. You ever know politicians to talk about hope? And then... We're back to the same old, same old. That's yeah, been happening for a long, long time. Like ever since there was a politician, we've been talking about hope and hearing about hope, and we've still been in the same place for the most part. The world has all kinds of dying hopes. Not here. This is a living hope, active right now. And then there's this second thing going on with a living hope. Uh, check this out. We'll make, is that it's a hope. That grows in strength year after year. And so the logic follows here. That the longer you walk with Jesus. And that means the closer you get to the end of your life. The stronger that hope is. It literally is a hope that grows with you. As you get older it grows stronger. So in theory. If you're closer to death than I am. On the average. Your hope. Is stronger than my hope because you've had years of it growing inside of it. Your expectation for heaven is stronger than mine. That's what's happening. Now, when I read, when I was reading through what different scholars said about this living hope, I, really, I came across one that said just this. I want to read to you what he said. He, he says it actually better than I just said it, so let's just read him. Maybe we should have started there. Here's what he says. If such a growing hope is the expected result of being born again, then perhaps the degree to which believers have an intense, confident expectation of the life to come is one useful measure of progress towards spiritual maturity. It's not surprising that such a hope is particularly evident in many older Christians as they approach death. So I read that. I read that uh, on one particular morning this week. Later that day, I got to watch that commentary come to life. I was visiting with Donna Jean Wheeler, and we were talking, and somehow we got on the topic of heaven, and she said some things. I said, Donna Jean, just stop. And I pulled out my fancy smartphone, pulled up voice memos, and I said, I'd love for you to share with people on Sunday what you just said to me. And I read 1 Peter 1.3. I said, I just was studying this morning that we are born into a living hope. And what you just said is exactly what this commentator said. Can you say that for us? She said, okay. Take a listen. Okay, so Don Jean, you just said uh, that in our day and age, things are crazier than you've ever seen them. And you long, you long for Heaven, and then I read First Peter three about being born again to a living hope, and so I said, those that are older are are often um, yearning with a stronger passion for heaven than those that are younger, because your living hope has grown and matured year after year. So tell me about like, so share what you were just sharing with me. So well, <coughs>
1: the thing about it is, I don't believe people your age can quite understand how it is that we would be longing for that. The only thing that bothers me is I hate to leave my family. Well, of course, don't have much family left. (laughs) But I, I would hate, I hate to leave Terry and them. But then on the other hand, I picture the transition as being Instantaneous, more or less. I don't expect it to be a long, drawn-out thing. Uh Uh, I don't think it's going to be that way. Of course, what do I know? But
0: (laughs) which I hope is stronger
1: now than it probably ever has been. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you could not have convinced me even 20 years ago that I would look forward to to the transition. Uh, you couldn't convince me of that. Um, not that life was always that great, but still, I, I just wouldn't believe that. I just wouldn't. And uh, But the longer I live, the more it's that way. Because I look at myself just like today. Somebody asked me today how old I was. Well, I'm 90, and I don't, I, especially people who have known me, what probably seems like a hundred years, uh, <laughs> uh, I doubt that any of them, even people that may be listening, uh, would realize that I am 90 years old, and that's a long time, and I've seen a lot, and I've heard a lot, and I think as a preacher's wife, you you wonder what it is that you haven't heard. <laughs>
0: Okay, so how cool is that? That's a woman who has lived long with Jesus. You know, or you've walked with her, so many of you. And she's at a point in her life, not that she's she's like begging to die, but she has no fear of that death because it is so alive in her. I'm not there yet, but that's a living hope. And here's the other thing that Donna Jean uh, has come to understand, and I know many of you have too. Is that that living hope is now rooted on something so sure because you know that second thing that Peter says you're born into an inheritance. It's an inheritance that never spoils, it's not going to fade, no one's going to ruin it, and it's kept in heaven for you. Donna Jean, as many of you also know yourselves, you know that it is as sure a thing as anything else. You can take it to the bank, it's an inheritance. It's your inheritance as a believer in Christ. Now there's a lot we could say about inheritance. Like we go back in the Old Testament and we could talk a lot about what the inheritance of Israel was. We could talk a lot about how uh, the New Testament writers talk about inheritance, but we don't have that kind of time. So let me just show you what your inheritance is. The inheritance Donna Jean will get, I will get and all who are kept in the arms of Christ. Here it is. Revelation 21 1-4. Here's They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the inheritance. That's worth staking your life on. And it just so happens Donna Jean's got that living hope has had it for so long she knows it's so close. That's what you root, what you what you root yourself in, what you stand on, but can you lose that? I mean, how do you know that? How do you know that you, that you've got it? Do you just got to keep trying really, really hard? Well, remember verse five, where we end this morning. Verse five. Check it out, just so we can remember. They. That's now you, me, they, all who believe in Christ. They through faith are shielded. By God's power. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm not talking about. Peter's not talking about walking away from Jesus and leaving him forever. He's talking about all of us who keep walking in this hostile world. And often failing. What do you do when you fail? You get back up. You're sprinkled with the blood. Remember verse 2. But you never forget you are God. Guarded, you are shielded by his power. He will ensure your faith continues to grow and you will not be let go of. As Peter wrote that, I imagine he had in his mind the words of Jesus. I bet he remembered hearing Jesus say them himself, live, in person, in flesh. He just summarized it here in his letter. I bet these were the words he was remembering, John 10, 27 through 29. Jesus said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They'll follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You can't be snatched. You can't be snatched. Nothing will come against you that's going to snatch you out of your Father's hand. Sounds a lot like Paul, when he wrote this to the Philippians. Maybe you remember the scripture. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, oh, he will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sounds a lot like that you will be shielded by God's power until you receive the salvation to be revealed at the end. You will be guarded. God will be Alright, so let's summarize it. You ready? You ready for a, a reduction of everything we said into just a few words? Here it is. Here's the summary. Look to God, remember your inheritance, and God is with you. There it is. That would be the easy way to remember it. So I think that's our application right there. I think those three things are our application. So let's quickly put all that on the ground where you live. Okay? Here it is. First one. Look to God first and foremost. I just Let me just say this clearly. You should not be your number one. You should not be your number one. Never look in the mirror and say, believe in yourself. Now, at some point you need to understand and have confidence in your skills. I'm not saying you berate yourself. What I'm saying is, first and foremost, you look in the mirror and you say, praise to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I am because of who He is. You literally exalt the mind to Him. Uh, If I had to say it another way, I would say it this way. A lot of problems could be solved if we elevated our thinking about God and stopped thinking so much about ourselves. Maybe a lot could be solved. If we looked more at who he is than about who we are. Anytime your attention is overly focused on yourself, you will have problems. This is why depression becomes a vicious cycle. Because once you step into it, even clinically step into depression, for whatever reason that might be, guess where your eyes begin to look? At yourself, trying to solve your problem. The more you look at yourself, guess what happens? The deeper you go. And the deeper you go, the more you look at yourself to solve the problem. The deeper you go, the deeper you go. The way you get out, among some things, I understand this is a very complex issue. Depression is complex as many other mental health challenges. But, big picture, we were made to give glory to God. We want to be crazy about talking about Him and talking about how amazing He is. That's where we go. So, there's this pastor that, that I know. He's very famous. And I heard him once give this advice to a young man who was struggling with sexual addiction. He told that young man to read a 1,300-page theology book over the span of six months. And that would come closer to solving his problem than anything else. I've never never been so bold to give that advice. Here's why he said he did that. Check this out. Uh, And by the way, here's the book, Systematic Theology and Introduction to Biblical Doctrine. He He particularly said, read that book. Here's what he said. Here's my reasoning. I think Satan is bringing his attacks against us, and we're using our little pea shooter our Sunday school level knowledge of God to try to defeat Satan's attack. I You've got to hone in on this next sentence. There are such vast, deep, glorious, beautiful, strong, wonderful things about God. And when you're grasped by them, there's a power effect on making sensuality less attractive in your life. Um, so, I got to keep this like G-rated, so let me just use food. Let me use food and not anything in the sensual realm. When someone puts a particular cake, Mary makes this cake. I can't tell you what the name of this cake is publicly, but it's really, really good. It's um, really good. Okay, so when when that cake comes out, and I'm I'm at that moment of dessert. And, and there's this very dry, bland sugar cookie next to this cake that cannot be named. Do you know what happens? Do you know what I pick? I pick that cake every time. Why? Because I know the glory of this cake. I don't struggle with the, this bland sugar cookie. I want this cake. It's not even a challenge. There wasn't even a temptation for the sugar cookie. That's what this pastor's saying. Is that when you see God in his glory, when you read and are soaked up with how amazing he is, you will not be tempted with lesser things. This happens in a lot of other places in our life. I'll just leave it at food. C.S. Lewis said it this way. This is one of my favorite quotes from Lewis out of his essay, The Weight of Glory. Here's what Lewis says It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who waits, uh, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's, you see the point? When you hit trouble, I don't mean... Just don't deal with the trouble. we got to deal with trouble. When you're diagnosed with a terminal cancer, you need to deal with it. When you have a heart condition or facing open heart surgery, you're going to have to deal with that. When your relationship is falling apart, you have to deal with that. But be sure that you never focus all your attention on that. Make sure to always keep your eyes elevated to the glory and beauty of Christ. Because... If you're not careful, you'll become like an ignorant child who's making mud pies in the slum and you've been offered a day at the beach. What kid does that? No kid does that. But so often we do. We're looking at our problems when His glory is immense. It's why Paul says, we don't have it on the screen, but it's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that when you put when you put our troubles up against the glory coming, they don't even compare. Your troubles are training you for a future glory. So you take joy in them because of what they're preparing you for. You see that? All right. Ah, so good. I'm still trying to learn all this myself. But we all have to be brought to it. We need to be trained to look not at ourselves. You are still not number one. You are at best number two. He is number one. All right. Second point. We'll make these quick because these can. These need to fly, we we can fly through these, because I think they're almost intuitive at this point. Think about the end. Just so we're clear, unless Jesus comes back, you will die. You will die. And that's okay. So where are you going? What's on the other end of that? You will die. Ah, it is better to be sitting and rooted in a living hope than to have no hope at all. So, remember the end. This is not it. Cancer does not win. Heart attacks do not win. Unemployment doesn't win. Divorce doesn't win. None of it wins. That's the point you remember the end. Always be thinking of the end. Never let go. Either Jesus is coming back, and it may be sooner than we know, or you're dying. That's it. Those are your two options. So, don't forget it. It's not morbid to think about the end, it's just natural. That's what's coming. So when you think of it, think of the living hope, the inheritance that can never be snatched, salvation to be revealed. You keep that in your mind as you think about the end. The last application is this. Remember that God is with you. Remember God is with you. I mean, literally, just remember God's with you. And sometimes you need other people to remind you God is with you. We got a wonderful thank you note. I don't know if you knew. Terry Wilson had open heart surgery. And Susan sent us a card thanking us. Terry and Susan sent us a card, although it was written in Susan's hand, let's be honest. Um, and 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 she said, she said there were moments where she had great fear because her husband was going into open-heart surgery. And then she'd get texts from people encouraging her, praying for her. And she said this, she remembered God was with her. So sometimes you need to encourage one another, God is with you. When you go home today to have lunch or go out to eat, God is with you. When you're in the doctor's office, God is with you. Just remember God is with you. He is the shield. The shield of His power holds you. All right. Here's our next step. So, what do you do with all this? Scatter pieces of First Peter three through five around where you live. Scatter them. Right, let me tell you. Let me show you what I mean. I mean literally. Uh, write them down. Print them off. So you like at my house, we're going to put. I have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil. Just put that on the bathroom mirror, or maybe put this on the toilet seat. I mean that because someone will pay attention. Not being crude. I'm trying to put it in places you, you will go. No pun intended on that one. I know I'm a pastor. Didn't mean that one. Let's not have an elders meeting. Okay? I have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and what, like praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, put that in your drawer where you, where you get your shirts. So when you open it up in the morning, praise be to the God, Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you put put on, on, your, uh, on your dashboard, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Every time you get in your car, you remember that. Or you put this like at the bottom of the laundry hamper, assuming you'll get there this week. You know how you get to the empty? I've been doing a lot of laundry. That's what comes to mind. My inheritance is kept in heaven. Or maybe this, you just do different fonts too. God's power is protecting me right now. Maybe just put that in your refrigerator. Just put it right there. And just God's power is protecting me right now. Could you imagine you open the refrigerator and you remember God's power is protecting you? What a great reminder, just right where you live. I don't know wherever you live, wherever you're, wherever you're moving, wherever you go. Just write these things and then literally just scatter them in your life. So no matter what you're doing this week, you're remembering who you are, what your end is what you've been born into, and who He is. You see, by scattering 1 Peter 3, verses 3-5 through 5 around your house, you won't be tempted to say, I'm still my number one. Don't say that. You say, God's power is protecting me right now. That's what you say. And I guarantee you, you'll have a better week, if you do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it transforms us. Thanks that it elevates our eyes to how amazing you are. We just clap. We just talk about how awesome you are. And so help us remember that. And so this week, may your word do things in us that we cannot do inside of ourselves. We pray that in the name of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Together we say, Amen.